0: Welcome everyone to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapassi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. All right, Paul. Well, we had fun last week with our Australian friends with our first round table. If you guys liked that, there's more to come. Paul, did you like that? It, it's it's a it's a big planet, Jason. It's a big planet. <laughs> it is you're right it is a i, I, I think
1: there's room for more of these
0: yeah there there, there could be maybe 200 others if if the uh, stars aligned it could be here forever uh, <laughs> no, I, I
1: i really enjoyed it i i was i continue to marvel at the number of shows that oh, i um, yeah that <laughs> i mean look uh, i i've been to a fair number of shows yeah but um I felt um, inadequate.
0: <laughs> I mean, geez, Louise. I mean, you're over the dozen mark, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that be come on. That's that was uh, Nikki, that was and, a, Jason Nikki it and Jason. Nikki and Jason. I mean, it
1: was that was a, which that was, like, you know. In was, some, oh, you,
0: oh, some of you, some of you out there, are probably like sn- uh, turning honorary members that honorary members of the
1: band. At that point, you're part of the crew. You're you're like you know, you you're, you're you're basically roadies. <laughs>
0: You know what we got to do? We got to get that gal who held up the umbrella that said wash on it in Pittsburgh. What's she, what, what, what's she up to these days? Hmm. Anyway, uh, this week we are not interviewing people from around the globe. We are going to be reviewing part one of earthling by Ed Vedder. Uh, we split up the gig record, into two halves and did it in parts mm-hmm. one and two. Um, we're doing the same thing for this Eddie album. Uh, Before we get into it, of course, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show, wherever you listen to these things, Spotify, there's a new rating system over there, so get on that, Apple, of course, Uh, was it uh, Stitcher, or Deezer, or Google, or Amazon, wherever wherever the hell you do this thing, get on there and give us a like, you know, why not? That's exactly what they should do, while they feed the algorithm that's right so let's just get into it then um we will start off where the album starts off with invincible we are going to do things the same as we did with a gigaton it's a five point system you can do half points or stars whatever the hell you want to say um five is the best one is the worst uh we will go through our our notes here describe what we liked and didn't like about the, each song and then end up with a rating and then on to the next person's review of that song until we get through the halves, or we'll pause, put a pin in it until next week. Uh, Okay, Paul, lead things off as Otis Nixon once did for the Atlanta Braves, and give me (laughs) Invincible.
1: All right, so, you know, this particular track here, it's got, you know, there are components of the song to me that are literal bookends, since if you think about this, the music, was actually the first recorded Mm -hmm. but the lyrics were not actually added until the very end so in essence if you think about it the the lyrics serve as a veritable liftoff for ed and company as much as it is for us the listeners uh i like the aviation alphabet that uh, he Mm -hmm. weaves in Mm -hmm. to the intro there and uh, the standard of aeronautical radio telephone broadcasting (laughs) <laughs> Look, I thought it added a really unique twist, right? So you, you take this verse here. Radio, what's your story? Are you Oscar Kilo? Which, meaning, okay. Will, uh, will you Wilco? Meaning, will you comply? Are you ready for a bit of a bit of Echo Vector? Meaning, Eddie Vedder. Uh, feeling wider than awake? Yeah, better crooked than straight. That, th- those last two lines I thought were interesting. I love those two lines. Uh, wh- what's your take on those two lines? Feeling wider than awake, better
0: crooked than straight. Well, I mean, I think I love the idea of being different, for one, uh, with the Crooked and the Straight Line, celebrating our differences and being well aware of it, I think it's kind of where he's coming from here um, as he pushes off into the album. I think it's kind of the uh, the tone setter.
1: Uh, did, did you take away anything from that word? Awake? Do you think
0: that was in some way a reference to being woke? Um, It might be. I mean, here's a funny thing. When we did our episode a couple weeks ago on the whole Joe Rogan, Neil Young kerfuffle, um, there was a gentleman online who asked us on Facebook if we were going to be too woke in our approximations of this. (laughs) Um, I replied to him and said, no, I thought I was just right. And I will stand firm on that because I think we were just right. But there's an interesting, uh, I guess, point that some people are uh, annoyed by quote-unquote, wokeness. You can take that for what it is. Uh, being woke can mean anything. I think the original meaning was just like, hey, let's be aware of everybody's um, shortcomings, everybody's hurt, everybody's plights, and be respectful of those things. I think that's what it meant, but maybe it's gone in another direction. Maybe it's gotten more amplified. Um, I don't know, but wider than awake? Maybe. I mean, hey. what what would wider than awake mean?
1: I just, I like the ambiguity there. Um, look, the same as well as other thongs, uh, thongs.
0: <laughs> Songs. Cisco is not on this content. Cisco is <laughs> not on
1: this. Uh, I think that this idea of pushing the idea that love elevates us to, uh, to to greater clarity and being, right? And I'm not referring to, to being woke as much as it is the idea of being invincible. That metaphor materializes in the imagery that we get at the beginning of the song with, with us lifting off, right? Levitating Had one with these, these heavenly harmonies that we get going on. And the synergy of the synths and the energy, the big guitars, the production's outstanding. It's really, really tight, it's crisp. Uh, it, it makes me wonder what a Pearl Jam record would sound, sound like, which obviously we'll get an answer to mm-hmm. that per, pretty soon with, with, with uh, Andrew Watt. But what I thought was fascinating about this was you listen to the sound of Earthling and then juxtapose that with the original sound of avocado. Okay? Oh, wow, yeah. It is literally almost two polar opposites of the spectrum in a lot of ways, to me anyway. And so uh, I I was just a fresh, fresh take on hearing Eddie sing with a whole different layer of of sound engineering and mixing and producing. Uh, It it makes me really, really intrigued. And I thought that, uh, that the percussion, I mean, just really, um it, you you feel you feel those, those palpitations you you feel those beats you know it's almost like a heartbeat you just, just lay your ear on somebody you care about's chest one of these days and just listen to that thump and then that's how that bass sounds and uh and, and the, the the bass drum as well so i thought this was a perfect opening for the album i gave it a four out of five
0: all right i like it um well, we, my, my first couple of notes here were those opening lines as well. And so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the first verse, the feeling honest is a promise. Troubled times have come upon us. At the core of the cosmos, we are so much more than particles. That section in the middle there. <clears throat> I think it's easy to take these lines and attribute them to a higher power or to say that Ed's reflecting on our morality against God. He may be. But the past would suggest it's more agnostic than that. And that's okay. Because as long as you're honest with yourself and others, you're more than just a human being. More than a vessel or, as he says, just some particles. And the implication of the soul is here. And I think that's something that everyone can kind of get behind. And isn't that the point? We're all different but share the commonality of humanity. Another line here. All part of this everything, yeah, feels so important. I love... I love this. The word feel is a verb. This is a demand, as in you should feel important, not just a number, not just particles. So he's, he's doubling down on this. I think Ed does a really nice job out of the gate on this record, trying to show us all that it's beautiful to be whoever you are and to recognize the beauty in others. Uh, because ultimately, we're in this thing called life together. And the best way to be together, to live together, is to love music, the atmosphere, the arrangements, the vocal layers do everything that needs to be done to elevate these words. It's something a little different from Ed, and I dig it. It's huge, and it's simple all at the same time. I give it a four and a half out of five. I thought it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I I don't think I was quite as over the moon about it as you were, but I do appreciate the song. I mean, You put that thing on, and it just gets you in the mood to listen to a record. And I thought, what better way to open up a record
0: than that? Absolutely. All right, let's go into Power of Right.
1: You know, if Invincible gets you on your feet, which it does, I think this song's heavy punk metal riff in the key of uh, A minor with Chad, clappy percussion, it definitely figures to get you moving in a hurry. Uh, I do like the way that uh, Watt's bass is featured in the second half. I think it's just a great deep dive in. And how someone can really get hooks in you and just not let go, lyrically. You know, I'm going to cite a line here. She's colorblinded. So, sorry. She colorblinded sight, she echoed in his eyes. She colorblinded sight. What a great <laughs> line that is. Uh, and this idea that she had the power of right. You know, Right could be effective manipulation of a moral high ground. Uh, it could be amoral high ground in and of itself just feels like this song could be taken more than one way, which is what appeals to me about mm-hmm. it. And the ambiguity works for me. And I think it complements the music a lot. So uh, that said, though, uh, I, I, the, the music itself, I thought, was, was very... Um, it was mature in a lot of ways. If you think about the influences, I thought the music was still very, very mature but the hooks don't necessarily jump out at you in a way that I think uh, I, I had hoped that they would. So for me, this is a two out of five, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a song that I can already tell over time will grow on me more.
0: Mm. Yeah. The, um, the grow on me more thing is something that tends to happen with every Pearl Gem record. And in this case, an Eddie Vedder record, and I can already see where that's going to happen uh, with songs that haven't already kind of gone to the, I really like it or to to love it side. That's kind of how I was with Brother of the Cloud out of the gate when we first did that initial review of the song a few weeks back, it was like, oh, this is a pretty decent song. Um, spoiler alert, uh, I think better of it now. But first, Power of Right. So this idea of light equaling love continues. I think that's cool. Uh, I think it's gonna con- kind of continue throughout the uh, entire album. But in my estimation, its application is a bit different here. And I think it's possible that the phrase "power of right" comes from the idea of the power of right believing, uh, which yeah. is <clears throat> this came from. It's like a Christian philosophy made famous by some this this pastor in Singapore about fighting addiction, fear, and guilt. It's a bit hard for me to act, totally figure out uh, this song. It's it's there's some jeff immense style coding it, for me at least maybe i'm just stupid which is entirely possible but it seems to have to do with a guy who falls for a girl and that girl completely takes advantage of him and the guy isn't dumb but he's easily duped or tricked he's gullible unsure of himself hence the rocking back and forth line and the woman lets him believe she's his and she takes him for a ride takes him for all he's got maybe she's been burned by someone before um someone else And this is her way of taking back control of her life. This is her way of fighting fear, perhaps? Not sure. I don't know for a fact that that's what power of right means, but I'm a bit clueless otherwise. And the music in this one is, I think, overall pretty cool. You got a fuzzed out guitar in the beginning there and in the post-chorus. And some really cool, funky um, piano happening throughout and and a lovely uh, fuzzy bass tone, which you mentioned. Overall, I think it's a fun rocker. Ed sounds really good, uh, from his vocal performance. I just wish I understood what he was trying to convey better. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's the thing, the code isn't like Jeff level, like, wow, like this, he's putting words together. Don't even like figure for me in normal context or normal syntax. It's the, the, the lines make sense. I just don't know how they're connecting. Or what the real meaning is behind all of this. And again, yeah. perhaps it's something that I can, I'll figure out in time. I'm going to give it a three out of five. Um, I think there's enough good here to kind of keep it as the, uh, yeah, pretty good, pretty good, not bad. But um, yeah, like you, not as strong uh, right. as as an Invincible.
1: Now, I do feel that the next track takes things up a notch.
0: Well, let's go to Long Way then. Yeah,
1: you know, it's, it's got a heavy Springsteen, petty influences here. You get the big solos, organ, that heartland rock sound. Now, we've heard this song. Obviously, this was released a little while back. But upon listening over and over and over again, uh, in the car, at home, headphones on, you get that punk rock, Chili Peppers influence with Josh as well. I feel like this is a song about ill-fated love. At least that's what the lyrics seem to suggest. But this is also a motif, if you think about it, that runs very deep in a lot of Eddie's music. Uh, take this line, for example. Her love was but a haunting. She left but never went away. All right? Um, I can probably cite 10 songs off the top of my
0: head Wait, <laughs> go. Okay, same go. idea.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing, man. Better, man. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in there, Leatherman. No, I'm kidding. Um, the question that I think this song raises is whether the right person can actually come along in your life at, at the wrong time. And if so it kind of begs the question, was it ever the right person to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose learning to accept it wasn't, whether because you weren't ready to make it work or because you didn't know how at the time. In some ways, it makes me think a little bit about whether or not mistakes are actually mistakes or whether or not they're just necessary precursors to growth. I don't necessarily think the song tries to answer that, which I'm okay with. I think more importantly, what we do with, with, the, with the regret that inevitably comes with all of that is really what the, the song kind of leaves us with. I thought it was just a very, very poignant take on, on a lot of these, these very salient issues. And I gave it a four out of five. Really enjoyed the track. Strong,
0: strong. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, for me, you know, you mentioned we've heard this song for a while now. It's had some time to settle in. You mentioned the Petty vibes. I mean, that was the very first thing I said to my wife when I first heard the song with my headphones on in bed five months ago. I was like, this is Tom Petty. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, having the Heartbreakers keyboardist on the track is going to help that, sure, <laughs> which is pretty sure. cool. What's the old saying? If you love something, let it go. And if it returns, it was meant to be. Right? Yep. Well, this is the story of letting that love go and it not being meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yep. in, my, in my estimation nothing out of the ordinary uh, with this track the story is pretty basic and so is the music for me uh, I like that he wrote this on a tenor guitar because it's something different um, it reminds me of when he was talking about the binaural sessions and he told himself he was not going to pick up a guitar because uh, he was trying to get out of his writer's block something like that. and then he looked at the uke and he goes technically it's not a guitar I remember him. (laughs) You remember that?
1: Yeah, we talked about that.
0: Yeah, so out out came all that stuff, and and most of the uke stuff, which ended up you know being heard eight years later. Uh, So I thought that was cool that I picked up a different instrument um, to try and find some creativity uh, and some and and basically a muse out of the instrument. But I think this track is, I think this track is pretty not outstanding. Despite that, it's it's um it's nice. And that's okay. It's nice. It's exactly the kind of mid-90s song Petty would have made like the fourth single off of his record.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. And for me that's the problem. It doesn't feel like Ed was trying to do anything but channel his friend. And that's great, but when well over half the song is the chorus and the chorus is just two lines, there's some problems there for me. It's it's just, it's just far too repetitive. It doesn't take me anywhere, really the story is told in about a minute um, and then you got another four minutes to go essentially the performances in the mix is lovely uh, and that's gonna be a theme throughout all these tracks everything sounds really well it does um, but it simply sounds like something Ed came up with in an hour and not in a good way not in a uh, uh, Tremor Christ kind of way you know so for me I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it as dead average and go two and a half wow
1: okay Yeah, cool. I, I, I'm curious. You actually like Power of Right more than
0: this? Barely, but yes. Wow, okay. Yeah. I definitely definitely, the inverse for me. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think out there because I'm probably the outlier. I mean, most of y'all love uh, 7 o'clock and I just can't find my way to it. I think it's better than it was when I heard it live, but it's still not over the hump. And I maybe this is the same way. Maybe I just heard it too much or... I don't know. I don't know. But um, that's where I'm living right now at least. Let's go to then brother of the cloud. Okay, so we've had this one out for a bit as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to you have to read the New York Times article. Anybody listening yes. to this? Just just Google Eddie Vedder New York Times. Read the New York Times article to truly wash this song in context. Um, you know, th- this began the article anyway began as this inquisitive exposé and it turns into a much deeper, and very human, I might add, discourse between Eddie and the writer David Marchesi, Marchez, Marchese. I'm yeah, I don't butchering understand. the poor guy's <laughs> name here. Uh, anyway, it gets real when uh, Marchesi reveals in his attempt to get Eddie to divulge what inspired Brother the Cloud that he lost his own best friend to suicide. And Eddie, interestingly enough, he seizes this opportunity to ask the writer about that just so he has another perspective. And as they start to unpack all that, it gets really deeply personal and it starts centering around the question of forgiveness and whether it has stopped growing or will keep growing. And there's a pain that Ed feels and losing someone to suicide and feeling that they were so close that he does not understand why this person didn't come to him. And I think it causes him to question whether he was the friend of this person that he thought he was. Uh, Obviously, this. The, the someone meaning chris cornell uh, the, uh many we assume, people are, are, we assume. are we assume many people people are referencing his brother as well who drowned was uh, it drowned it was a climbing accident of th- climbing thank you climbing accident um i don't know why i was thinking of the uh the, the kid who played oh, Jeremy. jeremy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i was conflating the two for a second um anyway so Th- this this idea is causing him to question whether he, he was the friend to this person that he thought he was. I, something that I think he's ex- explored as far back as 1996 with Off He Goes. This yeah. idea of, of what kind of a friend am I, right? And, and hmm. should, should I be a better one? That's a great poll going back to Dan. Yeah, that's good. Well, I see a lot of connections there, you know, whether his perception of this relationship was flawed. Or well, perhaps it's not even that. and Rather, maybe... As he puts it in, in the interview, you know, all the years that he felt that he had to be this pillar of stability for his peers in, in the, the rock scene at the time. And, and if he lost it, then what would all these, these people think, right? He, he said they probably would look at him and say, well, if he can't keep it together, we're all screwed. He, he needs to be there for everyone else to have a chance. I mean, that was this, this burden that he felt like he was carrying around for a while. And his acceptance that all of this was something he needed to get over was really important and i get a lot of that coming out i get a lot of, of, of these very complex emotions these nuanced layers of human nature that are being explored and in, in some of these paths lead to answers while others lead to dead ends and that there's a frustration there but also an acquiescence to what we can't control so i i think in terms of the philosophy that the song explores it it really stands out to me and i think that the outro is is one of the uh one of the brighter moments of the record um in the same way that retrogrades outro is one of the brighter moments of, of Time. when i say brighter i don't mean happy i just mean it just really stands out so uh, for me this song is a is a three out of five right now there's something about the the way he sings the opening lines of the song that feels so strained and just shoehorned in it just doesn't feel like a natural way to sing that turns me off i love the opening um little riff it's very different and creative and just kind of you know pulls me in from a whole host of different references musically that i don't associate with pearl jam at all which i love but uh, as soon as ed starts singing it's like oh man is there a better way to sing that line (laughs) um anyway i mean who am i to judge but it just it just didn't didn't really resonate with me at first and i have a hard time shaking it but by and large, solid track, going with three out of
0: five. Well, you mentioned the way he sings that line. Um, I'm going to mention the way he sings a little bit later. Um, but in the meantime, Brother of the Cloud, man, I-, I mentioned a minute ago, the more I hear this one, the more I love it. And I think from our perspective, it's clearly about Chris, but maybe there is a bit of um mueller in there his half brother yeah, um, maybe amazing. something more than that maybe maybe it's kind of like a jeremy thing where it's kind of a confluence of a few things but really when you look at some specific lines it's really speaking about suicide and what that does to the people around them uh, yeah who's left, them. Right? Exactly. who's left right exactly to carry that exactly the whole second verse references this with lines like i understand it was not easy for my friend who promises even to yourself cannot be kept and the bridge. Uh, is where it's at, though. I mean, this is... I I love this. Um, And trust me, I I love the descending chord structure and the way Ed sings the chorus. I do. I I especially love how he harmonizes vocals in the last few lines. But this bridge... I'm gonna read it for you right now. There's no previous reference for this level of pain. I can't feign indifference, can't look away. The years, they go by. The hurt, I still hide. If I look okay, it's just the outside. There's no previous reference... For this level of pain, I can hear him sing. He tells us that he has no previous reference for how much it hurts him that his friend chose to end his life. And then he bookends it by saying that, quote, He can hear his friend sing the same line about himself. That his friend finally met a pain that he couldn't escape, hence ending his life. Incredible writing. I love it. I love it. Love it. The lines in between is powerful too acknowledging that even though he's appeared to be jovial the last few years he's been holding on to this pain the whole time it's that heavy he can't (laughs) pretend it it just isn't there or that he's gotten over it it's brilliant and then of course the outro you mentioned it the culmination of releasing all these feelings saying to let's just say it chris hey man i loved you you weren't just a friend but a brother we shared so much together. We grew from nothing into something, not only on a parallel path, parallel paths, but with each other's strength, friendship and support along the way. We had we had bonds that would never be broken. And you chose to bro- you chose to break it. You broke the bonds you had with everyone. Fuck you, man. I've never personally known anyone super close to me to commit suicide, but I do know It's a brutal subject. The pain a person must go in to do that themselves, despite knowing what it'll do to everyone else around them. I mean, some think that they're doing those people a favor, but others doing it in spite of their loved ones. Right. So yeah, for, for those fuck you. Right. And I can't imagine, I can't even begin to imagine what that feels like. The the hurt is very real, but Hey, as Ed sings, what are friends, but to keep it real. Keep it a hundred. So I really appreciate Ed being so brutally honest in this one. Um Comes and Goes was a beautiful tribute to Chris. Yeah. This is, a, this is a beautiful letter to him. Um this is more direct, which I think is a is an interesting difference between those two songs. The music is fantastic, I think. I don't know what the guitar and bass are doing during that intro that you liked. Um, and the verse, I guess, but it creates this murky, almost underwater feeling that sets up the the pure, uncut rock and roll in the choruses, bridge, and outro, really, really well. Four and a half, four and a half for me. I really, okay. really have come to wow. enjoy it. Um, and yeah, there you go. That's
1: that's that that's a, a quite a ringing endorsement, my friend. Yeah, yeah. All right, Fallout today. <clears throat> You know, the, the vocal harmonies on this one really stand out to me. The vocal harmonies really stand out. The narrative around this, this female subject and the lyrics, they stand out, I think, most to me as well. Don't make light of these weights. You'll fortify its chains. Never beg for forgiveness. It's a gift to share and shake the pain. Share the pain. This idea that pain is a gift and sharing it with someone and learning to shake it together is a gift. You know, um, I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, it was an ambitious song. I thought musically it was pretty sound. I went with the three out of five.
0: Well, again, I mentioned this before. Light standing in for love, sensing a theme here. Yeah, I really like the message. It pervades, I think, the entire. Record. Yeah, it does. Ed writing uh, about the woman's perspective is a nice wrinkle here as well. We we mentioned in a previous um, show how some of his most favorite, uh, I guess, inspirations or mentors or, you know, singers of all time were women. So no no surprise here, but it's it's still nice to see it. Uh, it may feel like a small detail considering that anyone could relate to this message, but it, it feels like a nice kind of way to the usual nonetheless. The idea that sometimes we feel like the negativity in our lives is holding us back, holding us down, that we can drown in our own problems, man. But as Ed once sang in sort of the Beatles, of course, all you need is love. Remember to share the pain with your loved ones and you'll be able to move past it. If you're fortunate to have a compliment in your life, a partner, don't feel that you can't confide in them or lean on them. There are a lot of things in life that test us that feel bigger than what we can handle ourselves. These are the tests. We need to prove the love we have with someone is real. When we share the pain, the hard times we are able to overcome it. Musically, I think it's lovely. Combination of acoustic guitars, piano, bass. The tempo is a bit livelier than I expect from a song like this. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really pretty um, backing vocals that you mentioned. Uh, I can't tell really who it is. It doesn't really sound like Ed to me, but I can't tell who's singing. Uh, Pretty fun, fuzzed out solo by Andrew as well. Simple, short song, but enjoyable nonetheless. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Solid. Yeah. I think we're kind of in lockstep on that one. Yeah. So let's move on then to track six, The Dark.
1: You know, it's funny that there's a Springsteen interview out there as well Mm -hmm. with, uh, with Ed. And uh, you know, I've, got, I've got this record, by the way, on vinyl, this, this uh, Born in the USA record. And it, 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 it's a fun listen on 4th of July, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I love the, the irony of that song, by the mm-hmm. way, which I think a lot of people miss. But mm-hmm. uh, Dancer in the Dark is a, a really strong track. And uh, this song seems to, to evoke that in some ways. It seems to balance asking questions with, with providing answers as well. Again, you know, the same dichotomy that just seems to pervade all these, these songs about the light and, and, and the role that love has in, in helping us connect with each other and elevate and rise above that commitment to try and, and be that person for someone else. So I, I, again, just all these songs do an admirable job of, of hitting a lot of the same notes in some ways until you get to the, the back side of the record. But the, the front side seems to really be pumping home a lot a lot of the same message, which I understand given the, the context and when under which it was written when you think about the pandemic and, and uh, I mean, uh, the benefit that Ed actually was playing that brought him to Andrew Watt's studio to rehearse in the, in the first place. Uh, so for this song, I'm going to go with a three out of
0: five. If Long Way... Was the Petty track, as you mentioned, this is the Springsteen track for sure. Yeah. Right out of the gate with the beat tempo, with the guitars, synth keys, and it's it's not in a cheesy way. It's a it's fun. I'm into it. Yeah. This 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 one lyrically moves into schmaltzy territory, but not enough to be a problem for me. Which is thank God. Thank God. I really enjoy the simplicity of these lyrics against the music. And the simple double entendre of the pre-chorus to chorus is great. Here it is. These nights with the sky full of stars. Oh, I'm going to find you in the dark. I'll find you in the dark. I'll find you in the dark. Let me lift, lift you out of the dark. Literally and figuratively, pulling the lover out of the dark. Simple, yet very effective. Of course, there needs to be a reason that the lover is in the dark, so to speak. The subject here seems to have fucked up a bit um hey that'll happen it's how you fix it and love of course as we've found out so far through the record love will fix it if you really truly care and this subject does a couple more lines here we all could use some redemption we all fail fail in the face of perfection and how true is that yep in the outro very the outro man fewer more fun moments on the record for me the ultimate outro to a rock song going double time check everyone going nuts check a wicked guitar solo check the singer leaving it all out on the floor check that is how you do it sometimes a good do song <laughs> doesn't need to be overthought it and t- i think yep. they kind of ticked enough boxes i'm going i'm going with a four i think it is a really fun time um with some certain matter that you know maybe it's a little bit repetitive over an overall theme but they do a better job than some other songs on, on the front half of this record, uh, in this way. So four out of five for me on the dark. Solid. Which brings us to the last track of our review for this episode, the halves track number seven. This one, my first pass through
1: with the album, this was in contention for my favorite track on the album. Um, I don't necessarily think that's still the case, but it is a touching ballad. It's got a very, very wonderful, heartfelt set of lyrics with this searching tenderness as it uh, juxtaposes what I think is a social commentary of the economic divide between rich and poor and how important it is to not lose sight of uh, the people that you love amidst all this injustice. Um, You know, the, the human condition just the way the U.S. is run as far as capitalism is concerned, and then just trying to, to, to balance the, the it and the ego, you know, this, this need to want more all the time. And at, at the same time, knowing that, you know, going back to some of the, the stuff that was on Into the Wild, the more you want, you know, the, the less you need. Uh, this idea of, of, of finding balance in your life where you're not consistently being anchored and tethered to having to want more, that continues, all that continues to be a, a pretty signature hallmark of Eddie Vedder's songwriting. Whether it's his solo content, what he does for soundtracks, what he does in Pearl Jam. So I think that the, this is just a great example of, of, of Eddie, and uh, in a lot of ways a, a very different Eddie. You know, the, the kind of Eddie that we're starting to see more more often sitting at the keys. Um, you know, we, we do get an Elton John cameo a little later on this record, which we'll talk about next week, but um, I don't know. I, I just think a uh, matter of time, the haves, it, it's... We're starting to see a new type of set come out. I can see Eddie sitting at Keys at a Pearl Jam show one of these days. And I think it's going to be a, a more diverse way of of uh, playing and presenting music to us than we've seen it's it's really truly astounding just how diverse and how much they've expanded the bandwidth all of these guys when you start listening to their solo um endeavors it's just it's it's really amazing just how much sonically these guys are capable of and and then they come together and you, you would never think that <laughs> that this many layers of the spectrum could be achieved and it just it's just a true testament to the the artistry and the musicianship of, of, of all the guys in the band. And I, th- I think this song is, is 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 pure just Eddie Vedder. You know what I mean? If, if, if there was a song on here that to me was just Eddie, right now, this is it. Um,
0: what was the first so, uh, set of lyrics that he wrote?
1: Yeah, I know. And so it's, it, it makes sense that this is a song that would, I think, be really, really strong in that regard. You get all the, the same kind of... Uh, uh, you know, Springsteen esque, blue collar, but very poignant, heartstring type of, of songwriting in the lyrics. And it, to me, is a four out of five.
0: Wow. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Well, when I first heard this song, maybe the first few times, I had a hard time accessing it. Accessing it? Accessing it? How, how would you accessing it? it? Accessing it. Yeah. I would say, Mostly because Ed's voice sounded frail to me. Or fragile, maybe. Like, where was the Ed I knew? Even in his quiet, contemplative songs, there was still a resonance and an imposing quality about his voice. Was he, is he finally succumbing to all those cigarettes and wine? Oh, an age, perhaps? I mean, he is 57 now, after all. Yeah. Well, maybe, but... The more I listen to this, the more I'm finding different kinds of beauty about it, which is good. The way Andrew recorded and mixed the acoustic guitars, bass, and piano are terrific. Uh, maybe my favorite mix of the album. I'm not sure I've ever heard anything quite like this from a mixing perspective. The story, as Ed has told, it, is about a homeless couple in love that he witnessed in Venice, California. A lovely sentiment and the kind of story that is easy to put a smile on your face. If only some of the lyrical moments didn't veer so far into the schmaltzy obvious territory. It, it does at times. For example, we want what we need. We need what's above. We're always reaching for something above. I'm not saying it's Olay territory. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not great. Um, Let's be honest. It's pretty weak. Um, we want what we need. We need what's what's above God, another human being walking by. I'm not I'm not sure I understand where he's going with this beyond just those obvious things. Again, I could be very stupid, and that's probably what's going on here. But anyways, (laughs) my review. (laughs) And then the whole second verse about feeling what the other feels, like the Siamese twins. Like Ed, come on, really? Kind of on the nose there. Again, lovely sentiment but lyrically something written on a napkin and not studied again for me. So I'm torn because half the lyrics feel pretty stock. And yet the chorus, while simple, is exactly what I want to hear in a chorus. The, the, the verses should go deeper and kind of fill in the gaps. The chorus should be the, the should be exactly what's here. The music is incredibly beautiful, like I said. And I think that the music is pulling so much weight here. And, and lots of credit to Andrew for that, like I said. So there's this weird balance for me. And so right now I'm sitting on a three. Okay. A lot of positives, but there's something with the lyrics that kind of irking me because I feel like he could could go deeper with this. Right. So there you go. That's part one of our ratings of Earthling. You want to fire through your ratings one more time real quick?
1: Yeah, happy to. I'm going to start off with uh, Invincible. I had this one with a solid four out of five uh power of right i i do enjoy i think it's going to continue to grow on me for now it's in the two out of five range uh long way is a four out of five uh brother of the cloud solid three out of five same with fallout today uh same with the dark uh the haves ticked it up a bit just uh for its its diversity i, I, I thought it really did a nice job of just capturing that that searching tenderness and, and juxtaposing it, like I said, with that social commentary. So four out of five for me there. If this was the album, by the way, uh, it would have been a
0: a fine way to end, I thought, with the halves. Mm. Invincible for me, four and a half out of five. Power of right, three out of five. Long way, two and a half out of five. Brother of the Cloud, four and a half out of five. Fallout today, three and a half out of five. The Dark, four out of five. And The Haves, three out of five. So I would say... Both of us have it as pretty strong, um, yeah. I I gotta say, for sure,
1: your brother the cloud rating is uh, that that's reverberating with me, my man. I mean, you put that in the stratosphere of like, hey, if I was to make you know top 20 Pearl Jam songs, I, I would imagine that all of them would be five out of five or four and a half out of five. I mean, you you're, you're putting this in the, in it's, the pantheon of some of the best stuff the
0: band's ever done. And it's, it's just an Eddie solo track. I think it's strong. I think, wow. I think it's quite strong. And, and he, remember some of the Eddie solo stuff has found its way into Pearl Jam set list. And I would not be surprised if you saw a song like this come out, especially because the rest of the guys knew Chris too. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Part two, Coming next week, let us know what you think of these reviews, these ratings, and then we'll talk again next week. Complete the album. But first, before we get to a Lyric of the Week, we had a couple of what-ifs that kind of popped out. I'll, I'll, I'll let you in behind, behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz style. Paul and I were at Paul's abode. Abode? No Abode? Correct. Yeah, abode. My, at, my humble abode. Humble abode. We were at Paul's humble abode just a couple of days ago listening to this uh, album and many others on digital uh, offerings and vinyl um, drinking uh, scotch as you do. And we came up with a couple of what ifs surrounding this writing process and record. So we figured, well, we want to split up the review anyways. Let's just tack on one of the what ifs to each one. This what if, as the story goes, if you'll have watched um, the Uh, Zane Lowe interviews of Eddie and the guys in the earthlings. You'll, you'll know where I'm coming with this. Um, What if Ed never thanked Andrew for the guitar and letter that he left for him, that, that Andrew left for Ed in Mountain View, California, a few years ago. What if, so what do you think happens?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, I, I think that there was, there was something about that gesture that, created a a level of trust where Eddie felt, you know, I'm doing a benefit, I'm looking for a space to rehearse in LA. Uh, you know, Watts down here. Let me let, let me see if I could just crash there for for a hot minute and just rehearse. And I think that it was it was that it wasn't cuz I mean it's LA, you know what I mean? There are so many studios that he could have come in here and rehearsed at. Um, there's a lot of people he knows that he could have come down here and, and partnered up with um, Dave Grohl. I'm sure would have been happy to set him
2: up somewhere. Yeah.
1: So he chose to go this, this route though. And I think that uh, that has a lot to do with the fact that there was, there was that gesture. And I think it opened up the opportunity for Ed to come here to play, to start just hamming around with some notes and suddenly for, for Watt to be listening and saying, Hey, you know what? what if you did this instead of that? And the genesis of Earthling was born from that. So the, the the obvious answer is we don't get Earthling if that doesn't happen to me. I'm not saying that it couldn't still happen that way. And a lot of people might argue, oh, maybe he would have he called Andrew Watt regardless and said, hey, can I just quickly jump in and just rehearse a bit before the benefit? But I'm inclined to think that it was that gesture that ultimately set the opportunity in place. I, I just don't. I I think Eddie's a very guarded person. And I think that, uh, that, that told him a lot about Andrew Watt, just, you know, it it probably reminded him of something he would do. And and I think that, uh, based on the career Andrew Watt has built for himself, Eddie was able to, to ground and anchor Watt to that event, rather than the kind of stuff that you read about online and, and in interviews and, you know, the big major acts that he's been associated with. And for all I know, that may have had a lot to do with why Eddie wanted to to record there, you know, or not record, pardon me, to, to rehearse there. It was just he thought, hey, it'd be kind of cool to just rehearse there and have this guy give a listen. You know, he he seems to have some pretty interesting sensibilities. I'd love to get his take on some of the stuff and just see what happens. It could be as simple as that too. But I still I I I'm I'm having a hard time buying that uh that this this album happens if that gesture isn't made.
0: Well, and more to that point, you know, uh, Andrew is a, a self-avowed Pearl Jam fan, uh, big fan.
1: Yeah, big time, and
0: and, and it, that that comes through very much so in the interview with Zane Lowe, and um, you just wonder if if he wasn't truly a fan, would he have you know taken the time to to leave a guitar, to leave a note? Um, what was said in the note, we don't know, um, but maybe the words, maybe what it was is that. Ordinarily, it would be like, I've heard of this kid, but why is he leaving the guitar? Like, What is this letter? But maybe what was in the letter was so uh, significant and right. honest that that's why the phone call happens to thank him. And as Ed comically points out to Zane, well, I guess he has my number now. Yeah. Because <laughs> I call him. Um, I think, yeah, you're, the obvious answer is, yeah, we don't get Earthling. Or we get an Ed solo record because of all this time that we have here with, with COVID. Um, But it's more like an into the wild or or Uke songs thing, which is to say that it's not very dynamic. Um, Ed has a certain way of writing. And if you look at both those records within themselves, they're pretty much in kind of the same pocket. This record earth playing is all over the place. All of his influences are on display here. It's all over the map in a, in a really good way. yeah. And I don't think that happens without Andrew. Um, talking about the Pearl Jam perspective, you know, the time spent making the last couple of records spanned 11 years in total. Yeah. It was a very laborious project, uh, a, pro- a process, um, as Ed put it. This record, Earthling, came together much quicker. And I think that Andrew did something for him, uh, Ed, to make him excited again, to kind of trip him up and, and, and hop out of the comfort zone for just a bit. Um, Andrew mentioned in the interview with Zane Lowe that he felt that he was holding up a mirror to Ed uh, in a way that maybe Ed hadn't had before. And that maybe Ed was feeling a little bit like he did with the guys in Seattle back in 1990, because if you think about it when he points it out in the interview, Ed's in San Diego. He gets the mixtape, you know, or the mixtape, he gets the demo tape, he records, he gets asked to come up, he meets these four guys and they find this chemistry. It's very exciting. It's very quick. They're only there for like eight days before he comes back down to San Diego. And here, it isn't apples to apples, but he comes down, he kind of knows this kid Andrew. He's hearing that Andrew's good friends with Chad Smith, who's he's he's known for 30 years. You know, let's go ahead and check it out. Bounces a couple ideas. You, you talked about how he's established a little bit of trust. All of a sudden yeah. things get exciting. And he's with Josh, who's basically new to him. He's with yeah. Chad, who he knows but is new in the in a in a songwriting capacity. Andrew's wow. brand new. Um so, all of a sudden, maybe there's a bit of that feel. And so it's excited again. And it's, it's that's why the, the album was able to come together so quickly with the quality that it has. And I know we're only halfway through the album, but I think overall the quality is there. Um, and it's just a bit of a different sound from Ed. He's the writing process with Pearl Jam has become, um, it's kind of swung, right? It used to be like everybody um, had their song and you'd fight for your spot in the album. Right. So you'd be like, you know, I, gotta well, my, he I got he says that
1: he says, yeah. I think it was in the, the New York times article that there was a time where he, he succumbed to those types of insecurities where he would say, right. you know, do, do I have enough input on this record? Do I have enough songs on this record? And I, I'm sure that type of thing bleeds out a little bit in records like, uh, like no code. Um, but I think it was very different with this process and, and he
0: acknowledges that. Well, cause it swung all the way too. Cause you think about the last three or four records, especially, and it's much more like, yeah, everyone's got their. And you think about like yield and binaural it was very much like everyone right. shows up together and they write together. And then it kind of went even farther to where, okay, everyone's going to bring in their own demos, but now we respect each other so much that we're not really going to change anything. We're going to do our best to make that song as good as it can be. And it's so selfless that maybe some songs get on the record that's, that that person, that author really loves, but maybe aren't as strong as some of the other ones. And that's the trick that they're trying to balance this respect right. that everyone has. It's like, maybe we'll just, just go back to the best songs to make the record. And again, that's not to say that maybe there aren't better songs. Well, who's the arbiter of that though? That, exactly. You know what I mean? It, but, that's, that's the thing. It's like, it, it became the band leader over the Vitalogy, ver, uh, no code kind of era ish. Um, But now where are we now is, does everybody feel equal, but happy to let Ed's also steer the ship. And I think just, I think what happened here with Ed, thanking Andrew for the guitar and finding this different timeline is it kind of reminded him what it was like to write in a different way, because I don't think he's written like that. And again, I could be wrong. I don't know that, that Pearl jam has written like this in a while. Right. Nice. And I think now, You have this young energy of a 31-year-old producer of the year who is a massive Pearl Jam fan who Ed trusts now. And the guys have come down to Beverly Hills to his studio and mucked around a little bit. They're buying in. I'm very excited. Oh, this is going to be a marvel, man.
1: This this next record is going to sound nothing like any record I think we've ever heard from Pearl Jam. And I, I really dig that
0: prospect a lot. So... What if he doesn't thank him? Different timeline, and we might be waiting in a long time. And so, it's a good, it's a good uh, what if here. All right, let's get to our lyric of the week. (music) This week's lyric of the week comes from Backspacer. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, focus on on love, but also some negativity with death. Or or, yeah. or something along those lines on this record, so it makes sense. We're gonna go from backspacer and go with the end. Slide home next to me. I'm just a human being.
2: I will take the blame, but just the same, this is not me. You see, believe. so cold I'm buried beneath the stones I just want to hold on and I'm worth your love and I I don't think there's such
0: a thing All Right, Paul the end what do you make of this one? You know the opening set here
1: of these lyrics is just this ability to acknowledge that we are human and therefore flawed Um, i'm just a human being i will take the blame but just the same this is not me you know that this ability to say look i get it i know i'm not perfect i know i make mistakes but i want you to know these mistakes are not reflective of who i am as a person or what i want to be for you or what you mean to me um believe i'm better than this Don't leave me so cold or buried beneath the stones. I just want to hold on and know I'm worth your love. And this ending's great enough. I don't think there's such a thing. Um, The the boundless, just limitless need to love and to be loved, but not in an unhealthy, uh, obsessive way. It's just understanding the true finality of life and how love might transcend that, but there's a certain acquiescence to how love becomes transcendent in ways that are beyond our comprehension and our ability to let go of our understanding in a tangible sense, uh, in the metaphysical is, is challenging. Um, and I, I think maybe when we're younger, it, it death is so far away that it's easy for us to pretend that we can do this and that we understand it but when you're when you're as you age and you get closer to that i think it becomes a lot a lot harder to do you know so i think these lyrics do a really nice job of kind of painting that portrait of of trying to hold on to something and trying to reconcile so much more just beautiful set of lyrics great great song too
0: yeah i'm not sure i know a song that more intimately clearly and directly confronts the separation of a lover because of one's own imminent demise than this Uh, for all intents and purposes. This is a song about someone dying from cancer or, or something similar and pouring their heart out to their husband or wife, uh, presumably having not been the best partner over the years. I don't know from experience, obviously, but when one's mortality becomes supremely self-evident, one becomes very aware, I assume of how they've treated others, especially those they love the most. Regrets, mistakes, even overcompensating for maybe not saying I love you enough. Everything is on the table. The subject's at their rawest and the vulnerability level is without rival. Everything the subject wants to admit or apologize for is laid bare. It's sad, in this story at least, that the subject feels the need to apologize so profusely. Can you imagine being Close to death, realizing you'll be leaving your partner, your children, and only now does it hit you to be the person you should have been all along. Fucking brutal and sad. Uh, A lesson to be applied, right? If I can steal a line from another song. Pleading to not just leave them there and yearning to have some reciprocation, some sort of acknowledgement that they too are worth the love they're professing. It must be agony this this the sickness too just an absolutely brutal yet beautiful song as mentioned on this show before incredibly underrated um i wish it was played more it's it's a really underrated track sitting there at the back end of many people's least favorite pearl jam record but it is a gem let us go then to its Best live version with our live card of the week.
2: Ready to stand up!
0: So going back to the Backspacer tour, we of course remember it well. We saw a handful of shows. Well, depending, I guess it could be a handful of shows if you're a Simpsons character, because there was four and they have four fingers. Um here in Los Angeles, uh, but there were many, many shows in that tour. Where are we going?
1: you know it, it's interesting you mentioned that this is a song that you wish they played more of. Uh, we were very fortunate to hear this song played quite a bit on that tour, not just played but played with a string accompaniment as well mm-hmm. and I thought that made a huge difference because it it, it is a a complement to the composition that I think is utterly essential on so many levels. Uh, could you still do this song just na- naked absent those strings and it still be just as, as, heartfelt and poignant? Absolutely. But uh, it's just different, I think. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to hear it played in that context. Uh, and so it's hard for me, and this is going to come across as biased. All right, I'm going to choose October six two 2009 here in Los Angeles is the best live cut, but not just because I was there. I and mean, certainly that, that, that does perhaps, play a role on a subconscious level but i've listened to pretty much every available version there is of this track and man they've it, first of all there's an intimacy to that menu which is no longer in existence i think they basically bulldozed it to build a harry potter ride Harry Potter world, yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh or or a world yeah so it, this was not a massive amphitheater you know what i mean the, the gibson auditorium was was very intimate in some ways and i think this song really resonated there in ways that they would not in, in a larger setting and uh it's a beautiful recording very very well mixed mastered and engineered and october 6 2009
2: l.a oh, the photos, the trees, we shed those. we made now left beside the road, behind us in the road. more than friends I always pledge cause friends they come and go, people changes us every.
0: You mentioned the strings. Yep, it sends it to another level. This is the kind of song that definitely could work, man and guitar, because yeah. of, of the of the of the the themes of this. Um, that said, you add the string quartet, and you're you loving you loving life. It's yeah. it's just an excellent way to showcase what the song's all about. Um, yeah, we were lucky to get that treatment here in LA. Um, it was. I, It must've been like a handful of shows throughout that tour. Ed sounds fantastic. And obviously that's a big thing here because of how intimate the song is. It's basically just him and the guitar. And then of course here, the string quartet, but man, I had this song on, had my headphones in just a couple of days ago. I don't remember where it was. It was, I might've been sitting in bed and just goosebumps on the arms at the end there. That's just every time, every time listen to the song. So yeah, I'm there with you. Excellent choice. And, um, that is the show for this week. You guys, thanks for, uh, sticking with us here. It's another over an hour episode. But, you know, we have things to talk about. You gotta just do what you gotta do. Well, next
1: week, we're going to start off talking about good and evil Ooh. in the literal and figurative sense, I suppose. Sure, we sure will. <laughs> sure.
0: Come back next week. Part two of earthling review. We will cap this thing off, give the full album grade, and hit another what if before getting into our Lyric of the Week for next week. So um, be kind to everybody out there. Uh, be healthy. Be safe. Go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe, as Paul always says. Feed that algorithm. Get yourself a nice, tasty beverage unless you're driving, in which case um, continue to drive as you are. And uh, <laughs> tell, your, tell your employer that if you're late, it's because we told you to drive safely. And uh, until next week, you have been listening to The
1: State of Love and Trust.